Welcome back to the second part of this podcast. We're looking now uh, at podcast 2B, if you like. Um, we're looking still at the subject of um, the pagan world and the moralistic world in God's courtroom. And particularly, we're focusing on the moralistic world in chapter 2. Um, someone has put it like this in chapter 1. Uh, it's almost like you have the man in the gutter. The man who uh, is an obvious and out-and-out sinner, as we saw in the list at the end of chapter 1. Then we have in chapter 2, the man on the clean side of the road. The man who aspires after high aims, high morals, and so on. And then we have in chapter 2 from the middle, the, the Jew. Well, I suppose he's a bit like the man with the Bible under his arm. The man who claims his religion is his way uh, to righteousness. He, he is righteous because he has um, a... a some kind of relationship to uh, God. And so whether it be the man in the gutter or the man on the clean side of the road or the man with the Bible under his arm, if he's depending on, if they're depending on their own righteousness, they're um, going to find out sadly that they have no righteousness of themselves. And so that's the whole point. That's where we're getting to in the argument. And Paul is bringing them back into the God's courtroom. And so we're going to do the same and look at chapter two together. So I'm Andrew, your host again, and we're looking at Romans chapter 2 together just now. So I'll just commit ourselves to God in prayer as we consider some of the aspects of this chapter uh, in this second part of the podcast. Let's pray. Father, we pray that as we look into Romans chapter 2 and we see the nuances of Paul's argument, we pray that we might learn we might learn our own uh, sinfulness, that we might learn our own need of you, and we might rejoice in the forgiveness and in, in the justification we find in the Lord Jesus Christ. We commit ourselves to you in the Lord's name. Amen. So coming back to Romans chapter 2, if you've got the handout, uh, you'll find that, of course, and um, in, on the podcast, connect to the podcast, or you can email me in at williamson01 at yahoo.co.uk to receive it. We found out that the pagan world is guilty. And they had a defense that they didn't know. And again and again, Paul mentions that they did know. They had clearly seen they were without excuse, and they fully knew. And in chapter 2, the charge is more against the enlightened, the moralistic world, in the Greek world, if you like, of Paul's day. If you can imagine, those that were more enlightened would perhaps have a habit of looking down their noses and judging the barbarians, those awful, evil, uh, sinful people. You can imagine one of them coming into God's courtroom, if they could, and trying to take a seat alongside the judge and not in agreement with the charges that are brought against those heathens. Paul turns his attention on such a person. They immediately find out that they are in the dock, not in the judge's seat. They are on trial. They aren't there to take the place of the judge. They might be pointing a finger at others, but the three fingers are pointing back at themselves. They are actually, he's going to tell us in the first verse, guilty by their own standard of judgment. And not only are they guilty by their own standard of judgment, that would be, I suppose, bad enough. I would give them a charge of being a hypocrite. But they're actually guilty by God's standard of judgment. 
And so he's going to focus in verse 2 to 16 of this section on God's standard of judgment. How does God judge? How does God discern who is righteous? And so let's look at this together. The subject isn't so much the light of creation, but the light of conscience and the moral code that's in the human heart. So let's look at that together in chapter 2. Reading chapter 2 from verse number 1. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same thing. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. Do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape God, the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you're treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not Obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish in every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory, honour and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these alone not having the law are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. This looks like a very deep and complicated argument, but I think we'll find out that it makes perfect logical and coherent sense as we go down. We have understood that the pagan world is guilty. They're guilty and it's exposed, it's out in the open. The, the evidences are seen, the idolatry and the immorality proves that they are guilty that they do not have a righteousness that they can bring to God. But there are those who feel, well, we don't belong to that camp. We're upright citizens. We're good people. We uh, aspire after uh, good things. We're not like those ruffians. We're not like those who join in um, and who are against God so obviously. When Paul is thinking of this, he he realizes that there are a number of people that say this, but really their lives give the lie to what they're saying. Oh yes, they might not go to the same extent of sin as we read off in the catalog at the end of chapter 1, but they do sin, and they do these sins. 
And so as he looks at this man who comes in and tries to take the place of judge, he says, you have no excuse, O oh man. He starts with the guilt of the second man. Every one of you who judges. There's not one of you that judges in this at this time who is not guilty of something of the sins that have just been mentioned in chapter 1. For in passing the judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Now, you might not do them to the same extent. That's not his point. The point is that you do practice them. Think of some of the sins at the end of chapter 1 and ask yourself, have you ever done any of them? Have you ever been envious? Have you ever driven? Have you ever been full of strife or deceit, hostile to someone, a gossip, a slanderer, disobedient to parents, a covenant breaker? Oh yes, so easy isn't it to look at such an awful society and shake your head in disgust and say how dreadful people really are. But then the danger is that we are thinking that we are somehow righteous before God. And so this is the moralistic society in which we can live they can look at other people and find them guilty uh, we <clears throat> was just listening to the news the other day and it was it had a kind of focus in on um a man who was put in jail a year ago because he was texting on his mobile phone as he was driving his lorry you might remember the incident and um he crashed into an a number of vehicles and some lost their lives. Now, the judge has decreed what punishment the man deserves. But there was an element of how evil such a man could do such a thing. And yet, if many of the people were honest, was there any ever a time when they were in the car and they were distracted by their mobile phone? And yet we have this outpouring of censorious judgment on this man who has done this. And I'm not saying that that was a good thing. It wasn't. But I think if we're going to be honest and we're coming into God's presence, we've got to understand something, that God is not like us. We might belong to a, the clean side of the road brigade, but as far as God's concerned, we're just exactly the same. We stand before him in all the nakedness of our sin as a human being why are they without excuse as well as a pagan well because they practice the same thing what do we call this kind of action we call that kind of action hypocrisy don't we a play act but not only are they guilty by their own standard of judgment if they're at the end of the day that's not the standard they're going to be judged by but they're guilty by god's standard of judgment and so verse 2 to 16 really deals with god's standard of of human judgment or of, of of judgment i should say and it's really one thing to be guilty of your own judgment it's so far worse to be guilty of god's judgment and so he picks up perhaps mainly four principles of god's judgment and he outlines them and each one of them should be a sting to the moralist He's going to speak about the fact that God's judgment is according to truth. That's the first little section from verse uh, 2 to verse 4. Then he's going to speak about the fact that it's according to his deeds, or righteous, if you like. 
another little word, word you can underline in verse 5 to 10. So it's according to truth. It's according to his deeds. And then he says in verse number 11 down to verse 15 that it's without partiality. In other words, there's nothing partial about God's judgment. He's not going to look at one person with favoritism just because he's buddies with them. And then verse number 16, this is all going to happen in the day when God will judge the, not the open things, but the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. So it's according to truth. It's according to his deeds. It's without partiality. And it's the secrets of men that are going to be judged by Jesus Christ. So let's think about those four sections for a minute. According to truth or according to reality, God will judge things as they really are. So having said, now listen, you're practicing these sins yourself and yet you're judging other people about those sins. You're calling other people deserving of God's judgment and yet you're practicing the same thing. He says, but we know. He says, it's been in... You've understood this basic principle, haven't you? You, you more or less have, have understood that that the judgment of God is going to be in accord, accordance with truth. And of course, he's probably think of a particular kind of moralist here because he, he names the moralist in chapter in verse seventeen as a Jew. So even though we like to categorize him in three categories, there's a sense in which the Jews also included in this first section. We know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. In other words, God's judgment is real. God is not going to deal with some fabricated outward sham that we have. It's real. And do you think this, O man, he says, you who judge those practicing such things and do the same, that you'll escape God's judgment? How unwise, how foolish it is for this man to think that just because he has an outward charade, of of righteousness that God won't look at the reality of the situation or do you despise the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance the reason why you've been given the understanding that these things are wrong the reason why you've been brought into a, 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 a society that has a moral framework the reason that you know good and evil even is because God has given you, he has enriched you with his goodness. He is, hasn't come out in judgment as yet upon your society the way he has against their society. There's been forbearance and, and God has been long-suffering with your society and with you. And you're not understanding that this is the goodness of God, which is meant to lead you to repentance. It's meant to make you understand that you have to turn to God. This is according to truth. God has given you the light that you have so that you might turn to him, not pride yourself in that light and despise other people. But then he says it's not only according to truth, it's according to his deeds. It's a righteous judgment. But in accordance with your hardness and impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. 
So in line with your hardness and your unrepentant, your impenitent heart. So we're starting to find out something more about this moralistic man, that he has a hard heart, an unrepentant heart. And he is, rather than treasuring up some uh, brownie points that he can bring to God of his goodnesses, rather he's actually treasuring up wrath in the day of wrath. His bank account has more and more wrath as day follows day. Revelation of the righteous judgment of God. So there's coming a day when it's all going to be revealed. And that God's going to be seen to be absolutely righteous. And this God who will render to each one according to his deeds. Now you'll notice this is a, a common theme in scripture. If you come to Revelation chapter 21. To the end of 20 uh, and the great white throne judgment that people are judged according to their works. You say, I thought people were only judged on whether they had accepted Christ or not. Now, that is not a biblical concept. People are judged according to what they have done, which is wrong. The person who has sinned, for instance, by murdering someone will be judged according to that sin. The person who has not will not be. But it is according to the deeds that they have committed in their life, in their life away from God, sadly. In other words, this is the principle of legal justification. Let's me unpack that a little bit. If you have done nothing wrong in your life, your whole life, if you have continually done good and sought for glory and honor and immortality, you can expect eternal life. That's what it says in verse number seven. God says, I've got a standard. The standard is, if you, by patient continuance in doing good, seek for glory and honor and immortality, you'll receive the reward of eternal life. Now, has anyone done that? Let's stop and think about that for a second. Well, of course not. He's going to tell us by chapter three that all are guilty before God. So there's no one falls into this category, but it is the principle of legal justification. If you've done nothing wrong, you will not be found guilty. But those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, they'll receive indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, whether it's Jew or Greek. But of course, glory, honor, peace for everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So whatever background you have, you can expect something. If you have sinned, you'll be punished for your sins. If you have not sinned, you'll be, made, you'll be declared righteous. Do you understand the problem with this? Because I do. You see, nobody falls into the category of never doing bad. Nobody falls into the category of by patient continuance doing and doing good, seek for glory, honor, and immortality. Not at all. Nobody falls into that category. And so therefore, nobody can receive the eternal life in this way. It's simply a principle of legal justification. It's just a theoretical thing in a sense. No, it's, it's potential. Uh, what I mean by that is that if there was someone who could, they would righteously receive eternal life. They couldn't be judged for their sins. However, no one fits into that category. So when God judges according to works, it only ever 
ends one way. People are, are brought under his judgment. And what about this man who, who's thinking his works are better than his neighbor then? Because his works are going to just expose his sin. It's according to reality. It's according to truth. It's according to his deeds. What about the third point? For there is no impartiality with God. That really comes in at the end here. The Jew, also the Greek. So really, it doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or, the Greek, or a Greek. It doesn't matter whether you're a Gentile or whether you're part of the most favored group of people in the world or not. There is no partiality when it comes to the individual standing before God. For as many as have sinned without the law, that would be the Gentile, the Greek. They will perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law, they will be judged by the law. So he's saying, now listen. Everyone will stand, as it were, naked before God. Now, we're, we're still in the section of condemnation. It's helpful to understand that. As far as we're concerned, we can't come on the principle of law. If you sin without the law, you'll perish without the law. If you sin in the law, you'll be judged by the law. And, and how can you say that? Surely we've got the law, the Jew will say. But the hearers of the law are not just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. In other words, you've got to do the law to be justified. And then, of course, the Gentiles will say, well, listen, um, but we didn't have the law. But the Gentiles, he says, verse 14, who do not have the law by nature do things in the law. Do the things in the law. These alone not having the law are a law to themselves. What's he saying here? He's saying, listen, the Gentile understands in his heart the principle of the law and therefore sometimes does it. He sometimes honors his parents. He sometimes doesn't murder someone. He sometimes shows hospitality to a neighbor, for instance. And in doing so, and in saying that these are good and right, they have shown within them the work of the law. Written in their hearts, verse 15. Their conscience also bears witness to this. They know right and wrong, and it's witnessed to by their conscience. They've got a, a moral code in their heart, and that corresponds to the law of God. Their conscience bearing witness, and between them, their thoughts or their reasonings, excusing or else accusing them. We can see it in their literature and everything. Um, there's a very interesting little passage in a book I was reading a while ago, and it was speaking about the inscriptions in um, Egyptian Pharaoh's tomb. And it said that he, well, he was a good person. This is like 3,000 years ago in a different society. He was a good person because he didn't harm his neighbours and he, he didn't lie and cheat and steal and so on and so forth. And you say, well, where did he get that code from? He didn't get it from the law of Moses. No, he got it from his heart. And he got it from a societal understanding that there is right and there is wrong. And he has the work of the law in his heart. And so God is placed within him. A barom and I was going to say a barometer, but a, a, a meter, we might say. A meter that can tell this is very wrong. This is not what thing, how things should be. And, and his conscience answers to that. 
and his conscience tells him that that is wrong or that is right. And so it doesn't matter whether you happen to be a moralist who's a Jew or a moralist who's a Greek. There's coming a day when you're standing before God and once we stack the evidence up, unfortunately, it's not going to fall your way. Not at all. It's according to truth God's going to judge. It's according to his deeds. It's without respect of persons, no, no impartiality, no partiality here. And in that day, he says in verse 16, God will judge the secrets of men. It's not the things that are in the open anymore, you more or less you. Not the outward things at all. It's the, it's the dark secrets of your heart that will be exposed, as the Lord Jesus said on another occasion. Secrets of men, and it will be through Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. And he says, according to my gospel. So this is what's in line with the gospel. This is the moral understanding that is at the foundation of the gospel. That no matter if you think you're right with God through your own good living, you're not. And that brings me back to the question I asked at the start of, well, the start of the last podcast now. My friend who looks after his his neighbour, my friend who goes the extra mile for his friends, he'll not be judged for sins that he hasn't committed. But will he be righteous before God? Of course he won't be. Not by that standard. Because his sin will be exposed. The reality of it is that no one is right with God. No one has an inherent righteousness with God that comes from themselves. And that's what he's arguing. And so the not only is the pagan of chapter 1 guilty before God, also the moralist of chapter 2 is guilty before God. Now, as we conclude our little second study, We've got to ask ourselves the question, do we sometimes adopt moralistic viewpoints in life? Oh, I, I would never do that, we might say. Do we view the moralistic, the upright person as less guilty than the pagan sinner? Is there any way we are hypocritical? Do we understand that there is nothing secret that will not be revealed? What a challenge that is to me, certainly. Just commit this study to you. Trust there will be a blessing to you. Um, and the next study, we'll be looking at the Jew in more detail, and that is a very interesting study. So I trust that you'll enjoy it along with us, either in the home study or on the podcast. Thank you for listening.